Coming up on Catherine Ruinala. In everything we do, when you work, when you're serving, when you're even working for an unjust master, the Bible talks about. He says, do it as unto the Lord. It's an opportunity to worship God. That in everything we do, as we adopt an attitude of cheerful generosity, cheerful giving, cheerful serving, this people that when a Roman soldier would demand that they go a mile carrying their pack, would turn around with a smile on their face and say, let me take it another mile for you. nothing that the Lord can't do. God wants us to dream big dreams because Christ in you wants to touch the world around you. This isn't my doing. This isn't something I've earned. It's the goodness of God. It's the grace of God. And I believe that I am now anointed and qualified, not because I've earned it, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Today with Catherine Ruinala. I was... um, out recently with my father. I uh, went out for lunch with him. I so enjoy spending time with him. And we went to uh, the United Services Club. It's just a place where they have lots of memorabilia from the different world wars and they celebrate um, the veterans. And my dad being a veteran, he was a, um, a major in the army during the Vietnam War as a doctor. I thought he'd enjoy going there. So we went there. And I saw this photo on the wall. It wasn't a photo. It was actually a framed um, leaflet that was dropped uh, during World War II. And I want, I want to just show it to you. You may or may not be able to see it, but I'll read it to you. It's this leaflet that the Germans started dropping over, over the armies of Australia and New Zealand. They called them the Rats of Tobruk. These ones who had dug in uh, into Brook to defend the waterway. And suddenly they started being, receiving all this propaganda, all this psychological warfare from the German army. And this is what it says, Aussies. After Crete disaster, Anzac troops are now being ruthlessly sacrificed by England in Tobruk and Syria. Turkey has concluded pact of friendship with Germany. England will shortly be driven out of the Mediterranean. Offensive from Egypt to relieve you, totally smashed. You cannot escape. Our dive bombers are waiting to sink your transports. Think of your future and your people at home. Come forward, show white flags, and you will be out of danger. Surrender. I mean, talk about fake news. Fake news is not something new. It's it's been around actually for centuries and centuries. And it's a psychological tool that the uh, enemies use to try and discourage their, um, their foes, try to get them to surrender. Do you think that the Germans were doing this to be kind to the soldiers, to say, you know, really, this really is the situation and it'll be better for you if you surrender to us and let us take you captive. No, they weren't doing it for the benefit of the Aussies. They were doing it because they had 
a motive. They had a reason for, sh- for doing this. It was serving their purposes. If they could convince them just to surrender, then they wouldn't have to fight them. They wouldn't have to try and get them out of the way because they were blocking their purposes. And you know, this sort of psychological warfare is something that the enemy uses against you and I. And that he comes and he will try and and bring fear. He'll try and um, discourage you. He'll try to get you disheartened. He'll try to get you into hopelessness. And the whole purpose of it is to get you to surrender. Throw up the white flag and say, I give up. I surrender. And and let let him take you captive. I've shared about this before, but in the book of Nehemiah, you can see this same thing going on. Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, sends Rabshakeh to the Israelites and says, give up now. You'll be better off if you let us take you captive. Um, Nobody's ever been delivered from the might of the Assyrian army. Don't believe your leaders when they say, trust in the Lord your God, because there is no hope. Army after army, nation after nation have fallen to the might of the Assyrians. Just give up now. And I mean, it sounds very much just like this. The tactics are still the same. But the enemy does this also to believers in their voice. He comes and he'll whisper in their head. He'll whisper in the night times and begin to, to try to bring discouragement and try to bring fear, to try to bring hopelessness because it serves his purpose. If he can get you bound up in fear, bound up in anxiety, bound up in hopelessness and discouragement and despair, he can take you out and um, limit you from fulfilling the purposes that God has for your life. You see, we are all called to shine like stars in the universe as we hold out the word of life. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Did you know that you have good works that have been prepared before you were ever born for you to do. Good works have been laid up. There is a book written about you, about good works that have already been prepared in advance for you to do. There, that's there. That's your purpose in life. God, God says he's created every one of us to do good works. Sometimes even the word works in the, um, when we're standing for the gospel and the beauty of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, sometimes we can misunderstand the value of good works. Because a lot of people over the years have looked at good works as a way of earning the favor of God or earning salvation or earning forgiveness. Now, we know we don't work to gain salvation. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves acceptable to God but humble ourselves and receive what we can have no part in earning. That is receiving the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ by faith. But having been redeemed, having received Jesus is the one who takes away our sin, makes us clean and makes us holy. We are, we are then saved to do good works that give him glory. 
Can I hear an amen? And it's not a bondage thing, it's a privilege. And so when, when the enemy comes against us with these lies, with these fears, it's because he knows that you and I have been created with good works that we're going to be doing. And it serves his purpose to try and shut you down because you are a threat to the darkness. Light dispels darkness. And you, my friends, are the light of the world. Hallelujah. A couple of days later, when I was praying about this new year, praying about 2021, what are you saying, Lord? The Lord began to speak to me again, and he reminded me about this film. The title being Captain's Courageous. And I felt the Lord say that in 2021, we're going to see a rising of Captain's Courageous. Those that are going to lead by an example that is filled with the courage of Christ, that will not be bound by the fear of man, but who will lay their lives down for others. And, you know, we can say words like this and you think, well, you know, isn't that always what God wants? Absolutely. God, God always wants us walking in the virtues of God. But when you hear prophetic words, it's because the Holy Spirit is wanting to draw attention to something that the body of Christ has become a little out of alignment with, that they might refocus. This is an area of adjustment where you need to refocus. This is something God wants to bring attention to. And this story, if you have a look at the film, is about this spoiled brat, absolute spoiled brat, um, who, from a really, really wealthy family who's got a terrible sense of entitlement, never worked for anything in his life, a real brat. And he falls overboard and is picked up by a fisherman in the ocean. And, you know, they don't believe his story and they refuse to go back to shore because it would mean giving up a whole season of fishing. And so he has to spend three months on a fishing boat. And his entitled attitude is very quickly brought under submission. Uh, the, I think the captain of the boat, after hearing a mouthful from this precocious 12-year-old that's just so entitled and brattish, it gives him a good slap across the face. I mean, it would be very um, politically incorrect these days. But it, it woke him up and, and he had to start working with his hands. And this whole story of watching this boy go from an entitled brat to someone that finds the value in serving, finds the value in using his hands of becoming part of a team is a beautiful story. And then we watch and we see people actually giving their lives for each other in the film. And it reminds me so much about the heart of God wanting us to, to bring us back into a place where we, we don't go along with the culture that says it's all about us. It's all about you. You see, if you look very long in the media these days, the message so often is about you, how to look after yourself, make yourself number one, all about you. And and unfortunately, and I don't see it in our, in our um, young people, which is beautiful, 
But you can often see a sense of entitlement coming through the generations where it's like, I deserve this and I deserve that. And instead of having a servant mentality, they have an attitude of, of entitlement. And it's not just the younger generation, it's the whole of the Western society has, has been under the influence of selfishness. But Jesus, when we look at Jesus, he said he didn't come to be served, but to serve. He'd actually get down and he'd wash his disciples' feet. And it's an astonishing thing. The Bible tells us that if we don't have love, we're just like clanging gongs. You could be prophesying about the most accurate things. You could have incredible gifts of the Spirit, and we love the gifts of the Spirit. But if we aren't known by our love, what are we doing? You can be prophesying over the different gates, and you can do all the things, and that's good. But if you're not known by your love, the Bible says that you're just a clanging gong. And so these simple things, I believe, are adjustments that the Holy Spirit wants us to be aware of so that we can increase the light that God wants to shine through us, so that we can walk in the fullness and the freedom of actually stepping into the good works that God's laid up in advance for us to do. I was worshiping God one night, Friday night. And I just was so hungry for God. I was like, God, I want to love you more. Help me to love you. I want to worship you more. I want to love you more. And I heard the Lord say, love your husband. I went, what? I do love my husband. And I realized what he was saying is that when I love my husband, when I love my children, when I love, when I love them, it's actually an act of worship to him that God takes it personally. All the husbands are saying, amen. But the Bible tells us that as much as we've done it to the least of these, we've done it to him, that, that God actually takes it personally when we bless someone else. When you do something, when you notice that a widow's front lawn is getting a bit long and you, you just go over and mow the lawn for them, God says, you did that to me. He takes it as worship. When a, when a parent gets up early and is making, their lunch, making lunch for their kids, you can do it as unto the Lord. In everything we do, when you work, when you're serving, when you're even working for an unjust master, the Bible talks about. He says, do it as unto the Lord. It's an opportunity to worship God. That in everything we do, as we adopt an attitude of cheerful generosity, cheerful giving, cheerful serving, this people that when a Roman soldier would demand that they go a mile carrying their pack, would turn around after a mile and instead of giving them a mouthful and saying, you lazy soldiers, honey, it's so unjust that you make me do that would turn around with a smile on their face and say, let me take it another mile for you. Because the Bible says he wants us to be known by our love for one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you do miracles, that you prophesy, that you have extraordinary revelation, 
No, all of those things are good and they are the works of Jesus that we're called to do. But the Bible says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you love one another and that we would be known by our love. Matthew 28 verse 34 says this. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer them and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these my brethren, even the least of them, you did it to me. And that God takes it personally when we love someone else. The Bible also says that some of you have entertained angels unawares, just as you've shown hospitality, as you've loved. Imagine inviting someone out for dinner just after church and, and finding out later, I think that person, I think they were an angel. <laughs> you never know. God's desire, though, is that no matter what you're doing, if we do everything as unto the Lord, this isn't just a good saying, this is an opportunity to live a life filled, of, filled with worship. Hallelujah. I know that if someone does something nice for one of my kids, that I take it personally. It's like, wow, they did that. I, I, I feel like they did that to me because they did it for one of my kids. Parents, you agree? Someone shows some kindness to one of your kids. How much more does God feel? Uh, also, if someone does something unkind to one of my kids, I feel pretty fierce about it. And the Bible says that, he is, that we are the apple of his eye. Whoever touches you touches the apple of my eye. It's like if you touch someone's eye, their eyeball, you're going to get a reaction. As we adopt the attitude of Christ, of, of not coming, of not living to be served but to serve, the world around you will see the goodness of God. People could serve and do good, good works, but if their attitudes are ugly, if their countenance is cranky, and if you're, if you're so involved in the task that you're not filled with the love of Jesus, it's all worthless. There's so many things that we could do, and I'm not advocating that, that we, we just do good works just for the sake of it, but we do it as an act of worship to love one another. That, that wives, if you would love your husbands, if you'd just, um, don't get too excited there. <laughs> I can hear them amening. But by, by making the bed in the morning or whatever it is that you do, give, give him a back scratch or, or get him a drink or, or make something. You know, those things, God takes it personally. Husbands, when you love your wives, when you do the washing and you fold the clothes and you, 
God takes it personally. When we, when we care for those that are sick, when we care for those that are having a hard time, taking someone out, taking out a new visitor after church for, for dinner. I remember as a family, when, we, um, when I was a young girl and our family went to a, a new church, this family invited us back to their house for dinner on our first visit. I was like, whoa, why would someone do that? We're strangers. The Bible says, I was a stranger and you invited me in. I remember it to this day. I remember what their lounge room looked like. I thought, wow, why would someone do that? Why would someone just invite strangers into their home? You know why they do it? Because the Bible tells us that as much as we've done it to the least of these, we've done it to him. Now, sometimes people get bored with messages like this. They say, oh, give me the deep stuff. Well, you can have the deep stuff, but if you're not doing the simple stuff, the deep stuff is only going to make you arrogant. <laughs> Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if we could learn what it looks like to apply what we know to do the works that we did at first, to live, to live lives that look like, where's my opportunity to serve? When you, when you go and you visit your grandparents and you look for something that you can do to bless them, when you, when you look out for someone that's widowed or, or orphaned, or if you look for those that are single moms, single fathers, and you do something, new parents, if you look for a way that you can bless, a way that you can love, those things, the Bible says you're storing up treasure in heaven and that everything that you've done, he takes as worship. And as he takes that as worship, he brings you into a greater revelation of his heart and you get to see more of his glory released in your life. And the more that you serve, the greater the joy that begins to flow out of your heart and you enter into the joy of living the fullness of the glory, the abundant life that God has called you and I to. A life that is self-centered, egocentric, entitled is not a life of joy. It's a life of limitation. But a life that's opened up to bless, to love, to give, to be generous of soul. to A, a life that, that's unafraid to give a compliment to somebody that has, is doing well. And so whenever I feel any sort of hesitation in celebrating someone else's success or someone else's blessing, I, I confront that thing and will go even further in the opposite spirit because I want my life. The life of the generous will grow brighter, bigger and bigger. It'll in continually enlarge. And I don't want any limitations brought into my life through jealousy or comparison or resentment because someone else is being blessed. What would it look like if you gave your life every day to bring in kindness or joy or love to somebody else, to compliment someone else, to encourage someone else, to speak a word of kindness or encouragement? 
You, it, you could give it so freely. Why hold it back? Sometimes people think, well, I don't want to encourage, you know, their self-centeredness. But you know what? You holding back is not going to change them. It's simply going to cause your heart to shrink. If you will lavish love and lavish kindness, their hearts will begin to see what a true lifestyle of love looks like and will empower them to be able to follow your example. God is looking for captains courageous, those that would live by example, laying their lives down for each other, serving one another, who would be unafraid to, to lead by an example that says, yes, I come not to be served, but to serve. In doing so, we will see, I really believe, a true reformation, and we will prepare a place for the glory of the Lord to abide. Without humility, we can't see God. The Bible says, if you'll humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, He will lift you up. And it begins by humbling yourself and receiving the gift of salvation, the gift of mercy. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that there is none righteous, no, not one. Not anybody has earned the title of righteousness. But if you'll humble yourself and receive the gift of righteousness, the Bible says you become the righteousness of God in Christ. That is, as you humble yourself and say, I need mercy, I need forgiveness, you're acknowledging that you, that you are a sinner, that you have fallen short. And as you acknowledge your need for forgiveness, God will come in and he will transform you. You'll no longer be identified as a sinner. You will become a new creation, a saint, filled with God's heart and empowered by his Holy Spirit to go and do the good works that have been laid up in advance for you to do. But unless you have lived a life without any sin, you cannot be joined to God. You cannot inherit eternal life. And as we humble ourselves and say, Jesus, I need you to be my Savior and my Lord, he will come in, he'll give you a new life and eternity with him.